Turn with me, I think the first verse we want to hit tonight, it's going to be Proverbs chapter 3. We're not going to read it just yet. We've been teaching a series on peace. The last couple services have been about plugging the hole in your bucket. We've been using the example or the analogy of a bucket that gets lowered into the well of, uh, according to Isaiah 12, the well of salvation. And with joy, you draw water out of the well of salvation. This lets us know that salvation should bring joy to your life. We sang in the Baptist church, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. And there's really a problem when you're born again, but nobody can tell. There's no joy. Uh, you, you know, I, I get we go through stuff, but at some point you stop going through it and you get out on the other side. I mean, the mountain is only so big. The tunnel is only so long. And eventually the daylight hits and uh, you went through hell, but you went through there. You didn't build a summer house there. I, I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't retire there. So at some point, salvation's got to kick in and do something to our soul. And so we talk about drawing water out of the wells of salvation with joy. And if your bucket has a hole in it, well, depending on where the hole is, it kind of limits how much joy you can draw out or peace. We've been using the example of peace because God wants us to walk in peace. So if your hole is in the bottom of your bucket, you're not going to have any peace. If, you're, if there's a hole on the side of your bucket, you'll only draw out as much joy or peace as that comes up to that hole because that's where the water drains out or the joy drains out. So we've really been emphasizing plug the hole. Whatever's drilling a hole, whatever's sucking peace out of your life, find it, deal with it, eliminate it. There isn't a movie you're biblically obligated to watch. There isn't a friend you're biblically obligated to keep. When it comes to covenants, which we know very little about, your first covenant is with your God. Your second covenant's with your spouse. If your kids are grown, you have no covenant with them. Oh, cultures get this very messed up. I, I'm, I'm, of course, American, so I know American culture. I've been to Africa 20-plus times now, so I know African culture a little bit. And then I know Asian culture pretty good. And the Asian mindset is, this is an old uh, parable or maxim or whatever you want to call it, anecdote, if there's an, a Japanese man in a boat and he has his mother on one end of the boat, little boat, his wife in the other boat, and it's sinking and he can only save one, he'll save his mother because their mindset is my wife's replaceable. Kingdom, not Japanese culture, the kingdom says you save your wife. The mother goes glub glub because your wife is your covenant partner. We have to make sure we know where our covenants stand because that's where God will grace us. If you sacrifice your marriage for a non-covenant, God won't help you. My covenant is with my wife. I have a, a pseudo-covenant, we might say, with my children as long as they're under my roof. But at some point, I raise them to leave. Once I raise them to leave, they cling to their own spouse. They become a new lineage. I don't have a covenant with them. I don't have a covenant with my mama. I'm a grown man. I don't breastfeed anymore. And I don't hang on to her apron strings. She doesn't steer my life. And I'm thankful for that. She doesn't want to steer my life. I really appreciate my mom about that. She's never tried to force herself. She's given me wisdom from time to time. She'll step in if she sees me doing something dumb. But she's never been a nosy rosy in my life, and I appreciate that. And at the same time, I'm not some weird, maladjusted man-child who still needs mommy. She raised me to be independent and march on, and my brother and I have successfully been raised, and we marched on. 
So when you know where your covenant is, you can look at people and say, I don't have one with you. Go away because you suck my peace. <laughs> Same with the boss. Give them a two-week notice and walk if you need to. I'm not up for quitting jobs. Some of you have a really long rap sheet or job sheet. I don't know what it is. You know, <laughs> It could be a rap sheet. But sometimes you got to be willing to walk away from a job if it's costing you peace. Same with a hobby. Uh, with gymnastics, we broke enough bones and bent, made enough visits to the emergency room. We said, there's no peace here. It costs money to go to competition. It costs money for broken arms and split skulls. So we're done here. All done. So now we go and play soccer. And in one game, we compete more than we did in the entire gymnastics career. Because if you ever watch gymnastics, their floor events, the longest thing, it's 45 seconds. And you travel 10 hours to watch your kid do two minutes of competition. And that costs you two grand. Now my kid plays half of a quarter and she whips all of her gymnastics career in one game. Why weren't we doing soccer all along? I don't get that. Anyway, seek peace and pursue it. Now, we've been kind of reviewing here. We said a couple weeks ago that peace is a promise. He said in Isaiah 26, uh, I will keep them in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on me. Peace is a promise. Dr. Barclay says peace is a valuable friend, an important friend, a critical friend, powerful friend. And if you don't have peace, it's not God's fault. A lack of peace is our fault. A lack of peace is our fault. Now, if you don't have peace, we're not here to condemn you. We're here to challenge you and to teach you why you don't have it and how you're going to get it. Pills are not the solution. I'm not against pills, and I'm not telling you to walk away from your pills. If they're doctor prescribed and they're helping you, stay on them until you can get things hammered out spiritually and then let the doctor say, you don't think you need these anymore. And many a doctor will happily take you off of pills because a good doctor doesn't want you destroying your liver to find stability of soul. Isn't it amazing that if you don't do the word, you have to destroy your liver to have peace up here? Yeah. It's going to cost you one way or another. To have biblical peace is going to cost you. But to have chemical peace, it's going to cost you. If you hadn't reasoned by now, peace ain't free. It's an aggressive force against darkness. You can't just have it by keeping it. You have to make it. And it's always going to cost you something. So we said peace is a promise. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. So when you walk with Jesus and you do this thing right, peace will automatically begin to emanate from your life. But it only emanates in those places you have sown, cultivated, and then harvested. And once you harvest, you better have another field right behind it so that you can maintain a perpetual harvest of peace. Peace is also a commandment. The Bible says to seek peace. One of the verses uh, we looked at that we had never really seen before or paid attention to before, I'll read it to you, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, live in peace. It's a commandment. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, there's a commandment. Finally, brethren, it's a couple things, and it says, live in peace. We are commanded as Christians to live in peace. So now if we come to this premise that peace is a commandment and we're not living there, we are disobedient. Again, no condemnation. We're not here to, to call you to the altar and expose you. We just need to realize what the Bible says. If you realize, whoa, it's a commandment? Well, yeah, well, then I better get on the ball with that. So if we're not living in peace and it's a promise, we're not living in peace and it's a fruit, we're not living in peace and it's a commandment, we've got to, as we said a few weeks ago, pinpoint 
where the hole is. Pinpoint where the peace suck is. Where is it leaking out? What's leaching it out of us? I think I used the example backpacking in cold weather. Uh, you got a sleeping bag that's got fill in it, loft. And if you happen to kind of fall off your sleeping pad, your hip will tell you very quickly, oh, you're sucking the cold out of the ground. Or really, the ground is sucking the heat out of your bum. And you slowly move back onto that thing. I think I told you when we were out in Seattle, we did that stupid ice bath thing. We got the water down to 41 degrees. And 41 degrees is cold. But when your back can touch that metal trough that we're in, and it's like 60 degrees, that feels pretty good. You never think 60 degrees would feel better on your back than anything you were touching. But when the water's 41, 60 feels downright balmy. So like, yeah, let me just touch everything on this container. You got to be able to pinpoint what's sucking peace out of your life. Now, let me say something and please hear it in context. If you're in an abusive relationship, separation may be very necessary. I'm not saying divorce. I'm saying separation so that you can have peace because you can't make sound decisions in an abusive relationship. That goes for verbal abuse. I'm a father of girls and a son, but girls, I would never want my daughters to be around anybody that puts them down, yells at them, berates them, insults them, mocks them, criticizes them. I, honestly, as a daddy, any one of you daddies would appreciate this. I might go shut the guy up myself. He might need to go see Dr. James for some new teeth. You want to open that mouth? I'll make sure we wire it shut. Someone will break it. I, I've, I've never counseled any woman to stay in an abusive relationship. I've never counseled divorce necessarily that I can think of. I've maybe once or twice said, you have biblical grounds for divorce and you may need to do it, but we don't ever encourage that unless it's absolutely last option necessary. But there's nothing that says you have to go home to abuse. Seek peace and pursue it. Go get a hotel. Go to an aunt's house. Go to a friend's house. Find peace because you can't, you can't make reasonable decisions under emotional abuse and trauma, much less physical abuse and trauma. God would never have you go there. Now, maybe that person needs to go to jail and maybe you guys can work things out. It's going to be a long row to hoe. But your job is to live in peace and the Bible also says, if at all possible, live peaceably with all men. It's not always possible. Some people are just so demon-possessed, they'll pick fights in prison. You know you have to be demon-possessed if you go around picking fights in prison. Yes, Most folks aren't demon-possessed. They're just mean as an idiot. And if you put them in prison, they're not going to pick a fight because they know they're going to get beat up. But they could, they could be that restrained outside, but they just don't want to be. So peace is a calling. 1 Corinthians 7.15 says we've been called unto peace. And 1 Peter 3.11 says that peace is a pursuit. We are to seek peace and pursue it. There's all these promises about peace, and which means we ought to exude it. And yet we don't always. So the thing we've been teaching over and over again for the last few weeks from a lot of different angles is, why don't we have peace? We've got to figure it out. It could be you're single with nobody in your life and you still don't have peace. You've got to get to the heart of that lack of peace. Why do you live alone? You don't have an abusive spouse. You don't have weird kids or weird parents. You live alone and there's no peace. Uh, you could be on a desert island and have everything provided for you and still be tormented. You've got to get to the root cause 
of your lack of peace. Now, what I want to give you tonight are a couple biblical things to do to obtain peace. Uh, They're not going to be easy. Um, I said Proverbs 3. Let's hold our place there and go to Ezekiel 13 first. That was my little introduction review from the last couple weeks. I like this service tonight. It feels a lot softer than the last two or three, which means any sin issues we've been chasing are not present in the sanctuary tonight. Or you made the changes you needed to since Sunday night when we said, how long will you live under the shadow of Goliath? And then last Sunday night was, or last Wednesday night was, when will you plug the hole in your bucket? I like this. This is a lot better teaching, a little bit more encouraging. will be a little challenging, but I don't have uh, any heat that I can perceive by the Spirit of God. Maybe it's because God's so happy children are being born again in our church this week, and uh, he loves those little lambs, and we're doing our best to win them to Christ and get them in the house of God. Ezekiel 13, let's look at a famous prophecy here, verse 10. Uh, the Lord's complaining. He says, because even, uh, because even because they have seduced my people saying peace, and there was no peace. This is talking about the false prophets. Peace, and there was no peace. And one false prophet built up a wall, and lo, others, false prophets, daubed it with untempered mortar. To daub it, that means to kind of whitewash it like a a loose stack wall with mortar. Say unto them which daub it with untempered mortar that it shall fall down. There shall be an overflowing shower. And yes, O great hailstones shall fall and a stormy wind shall rend it. Lo, when the wall is fallen, shall it not be said unto you, where is the daubing wherewith you have daubed it? He's talking about uh, false prophecies producing a false security and stability in people. But the false prophecy was peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, well, um, let me read verse uh, thir- uh, verse 16 says the same thing. To wit, the prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem, which see visions of peace for her, and there is no peace, says the Lord God. This, this kind of, what it does is pull out from underneath us the, the what might be the lazy socialist mindset of living from prayer line to prayer line. I hurt, I suffer. If I can just get in a prayer line, they'll prophesy peace over me. Peace, peace, but the Lord says there is no peace. Now, I know the context is national. I know the context is we're not going to be judged. And God says, oh, you already are judged, and your prophets are lying to you, and you're not going to change your behavior. But the premise is still the same. A false prophet or false word of encouragement can say, hey, peace, peace, without you having to change, there will never be peace. If we lack peace, something about us must change. If we lack peace, something about us must change. Now, there are those exemptions where, let's say, Pastor Caleb comes to church. He's heavily buffeted, but he knows it's a spirit. Not all lack of peace is a demon. Let's not be demon conscience to that degree. But Pastor Caleb's clean. His marriage is, is watertight. His church is blessed. His money's blessed. Everything's, but he knows that he's being buffeted and he's speaking to that thing and he's resisting it. And he comes to me as his pastor and says, I need you to lay hands on me and believe with me. I'm under attack right now. He's got a handhold on this thing. And I might be able to lay hands on him and say, come out or peace be still or be gone. And we break it. Well, he was already doing everything he knew to do. He basically, like Dr. Summerall said, he, he was keeping tabs on that demon, keeping tabs on him. 
There are those exemptions where you're doing everything you know to do, but you know you're under attack. But because you know you're under attack, you pretty much got that thing managed. I just need this thing broken off of me. Where is it at? There it is. It's really irritating me. I don't want to have to deal with this. I got too much other stuff to deal with. Those kind of scenarios aside, if you don't have peace, something about you must change. If I don't have peace, something about me must change. So the false prophecy is you come to a prayer line or you go to a church that's always peddling hope. Without change, there is no hope. Why do people want hope? Because their life's a mess. Why, why are they terrified? Why are they broken down? Why are they fearful? Why are they dysfunctional? Because their life's a mess. So hope is here. That's cliche. Okay, great. We're going to tell you about Jesus and his love. But if we don't tell you why you're dysfunctional, broke down in your life's a mess, we offer you zero hope. So this is why we call it methahope or hopadome or uh, hope addiction. Hope is here. What? Methahope is here? Hopium. So what we do is we cause these saints to have to come to church, to church, to church, to go from one high to the next, because unless we teach them to change their lifestyle, they're never going to have victory. They're going to have a false sermon, false prophecy addiction. I just feel so burdened and beat up and dirty, and, and I just need to feel good. And the preacher blows smoke up their tailpipe, and they feel good until they go home and sleep with their boyfriend again. Well, hope is here. No, you're a liar. You're not helping people. You're lying to them. Same with peace. That's what the prophecy is being condemned. Peace, peace, when the Lord says there's no peace. So what I want us to understand is that we can and will lay hands on you for peace, but if you are living under habitual lack of peace, a consistent lack of peace, something in your life or my life must change. You have to pull away from something. You need to start doing something. You need to be away from a person, a hobby, a movie. You have to figure out where that suck is. Stop it. Otherwise, we can keep pouring peace into you, and it will keep draining out. So that's why I wanted us to look. This, this prophecy of peace, peace, verse 7 calls it seduction. And a lot of Christians will find the church that blows peace up their tailpipe not realizing there's no substance to that false peace message. Peace is an aggressive force against darkness. You and I must be aggressive to maintain peace. Everything bound to planet Earth is under the laws of thermodynamics, and they all take energy to maintain. It takes energy and effort to maintain peace. We have all the promises of John's gospel, my peace I give unto you. We have that peace given, but we don't all partake because it is a work to claim the promises, to speak them, to pray them, to enforce them. The biggest and best thing we can do with this subject is figure out why we don't have peace. Where is it? Is it a past sin? Is it past trauma? Pastor Caleb is an army vet, served in Afghanistan. How, how are you doing with the call to prayer, the Muslim call to prayer? Kind of beat the thing? All right. So when Pastor Caleb first came back from Afghanistan, I was asking, he didn't see any major combat or major action. You're just on patrols, you know. But it doesn't mean you're not under constant vigilance, which is hyper vigilance, which is trauma. You can't ever let your guard down because you want to go home to your pretty wife and your boys. But you're under that, this is how PTSD works. You're under that constant hyper vigilance, running the 50 cal on a Humvee on a convoy, and you're just looking for Haji. I don't know if that's a racial slur, but that's what you guys call him, right? Haji, because. 
The term you can't use is towelhead because they have a turban on, but they call them hajis because all Muslims have to make the hajj, which is the trip to Mecca once a year during Ramadan. Not Ramadan. Is it Ramadan? No, it doesn't matter. So they call them hajis. Anytime you go to war, you come up with a racial slur for your enemy. It's called morale boosting. So you're on patrol knowing at any moment Haji can come out and shoot an RPG at you. And you just want to go home. You just want to go home. So you couple that together with constantly patrolling to crit, where were you? Kandahar? Kandahar. And you have the Muslim call to prayer five times a day. So you associate the Muslim call to prayer. Well, I'm not trying to make fun of it. It's what it sounds like. You associate that every day, five times a day for nine months with I just want to go home. That's post-traumatic stress, all right? Nine months, five times a day, I just want to go home. Ah, yeah, yeah. To the Muslim, that's a call to worship. To Pastor Caleb and many of our GIs, that's I just want to go home. So he comes home, thank God. They watch a movie, and lots of movies have come out in the last 20 years about Afghanistan, Iraq, and Pastor Caleb would testify. I could sit on the couch, and just as part of the movie, the call to prayer come up, and you tense up. Probably want a little sidearm, a little start looking around for a towel. Make sure we're safe because all that comes back over you again. Maybe that's the lack of peace, but, you know, Pastor Caleb and I have talked about it. He's kind of beat the thing. I've, I've tried to teach you some of these fears you go and face. You just go and stand. Abzi still struggles with dogs because she was kind of attacked by a dog when she was about five. And uh, so we make her. We st- we don't do Dobermans or pit bulls. We do little, you know, cockerdoodles or, you know, chitsy poos or whatever. And that still really pushes my middle daughter or my, my middle child. But we, we refuse to let her be terrified of somebody's dinner. I was proud of her. We went and we're trying to pet a baby cow in the backyard. Uh, <laughs> uh, she was going to pet the baby cow, but it stood up. And uh, she's not afraid of cows because she's never had a bad experience with cows, even though a cow is much bigger than any dog she's ever had. Funny thing is the cow stood up, so she backed up, and the cow sneezed and blew manure at the same time. And we laughed so hard. You joke about it, but this cow actually sneezed and blew manure out the other end. But I was proud of her. She was excited to go pet this cow. Because first it's cows. You know this 12-step program. First it's cows, then it's elephants, then it's cockerdoodles. Then it's kittens, because she still has issues with kittens. Anyway, you've got to pinpoint where, where this piece has been sucked out of you. With PTSD, it's very easy for a police officer, for a soldier, paramedic, pilot. Uh, you've got to figure out where it is, because it's a commandment. We don't have the option to not walk in peace. To resist this is to disobey Scripture. Now, I don't say that to beat you up. I just want to put the standard out there. God Almighty looks at us and commands peace, not because he's mean, but because it's what's perfect. It's what's perfect. When my kids start freaking out over stuff that I think is dumb, I say, stop it. Stop. I command you to obey me. I refuse to let you be afraid. Stop it. I will, I will tolerate it for a point, and then it's, we're done, because I don't want my children to pet fear. Jesus said, perfect peace. God wants us to have peace because peace is what the perfect will of God is. Now, why do we as Christians resist God's perfection? Why do we choose fear, insecurity 
over peace when he has freely given it, not as the world gives it, but he gives it to us. He's the prince of peace. We have a fruit of peace. We have a promise of perfect peace, a shalom, shalom, if we would just want it. And you might say, I do want it. Well, I want to tell you how to get it because you're going to have to fight for it. The devil can see how much you and I operate in no peace, and he likes us there. Because anytime we start to march in a momentous, favorable direction, all he has to do is dial up that lack of peace and hit that button. And you've got to be mindful and know your life, know your patterns, know yourself well enough to know that anytime I start moving with momentum, this lack of peace is going to flare up. And I've got to start working on that because I never get past stage two, whatever, stage three. I never get in a video game. I never am able to get through the swamp mode. What's that area? Where do you fall apart out? Is it jealousy? That's a lack of peace. Is it anger? That's a lack of peace. Is it lust? That's a lack of peace. Is it insecurity? That's a lack of peace. Where are those places you're afraid to go? You'll say, well, I don't like the beach, but it's not that you don't like the beach. You don't like being seen in a swimsuit. Beach isn't the problem. If you could have the beach all to yourself, you'd be out there having fun. So it's not the beach that's the problem. I just don't like, I don't like crowds. No, no. What is it about crowds you don't like? Is it people? Did you have a bad experience? You got to pinpoint this stuff. I don't like lakes. Is it lakes you don't like or are you afraid of water? Why are you afraid of water? We, we just throw these things out like, well, I just, I don't know. I just don't like it. No, there's a reason why. When peace is in you, you can go anywhere you need to be Amen. and you can enjoy it. But we've got to be able to evaluate why don't I like crowds? Why don't I like family reunions? Some of these things we can troubleshoot pretty easily. I don't like crowds because they're crowded. Or the last time I was in a crowd, it was weird. Or I got mugged or whatever. Family reunions is pretty easy. Family's there. That's why I don't like it, you know? <laughs> All right, so now, now let's go to um, Proverbs 3. So I'm going to give you a couple verses and a couple principles on how to get more peace working in your life. And there is no prayer line involved. We can lay hands on you. It's great, but it usually lasts about as long as cologne does. But if I can teach you to do the word, it'll last your lifetime. And you won't need me to lay hands on you. I, I, the most traumatic thing I've ever been through was when Marlon and I walked through the Belgium Muslim terror attack. And it just struck me. Marlon didn't have any problems at all. But for whatever reason, spirit of fear got all over me. And I had to speak to myself constantly. Reverse was not an option. But going forward was difficult. I'm not a quitter. Going home was never an option. But going forward was a constant till we got on the flight to Dubai from Paris. It was constant fear for me. Marlon just grinning like an idiot everywhere we go. It's probably because he was freeloading off of my faith. I don't know. But I'm constantly having to speak to myself going, honestly, wondering, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? I've got peace down here, but my mind is screaming at me. We got Colonel Chuck, who kind of helped. We met. He navigated us through that as a uh, spec ops, full bird colonel. So he was a tremendous help. He was definitely assigned by God to do that. But it was, it was a good 36 hours of me having to speak to my emotions every time I th had to think. If you start succumbing to fear now, you will waste your life. And that's not the will of God. And if you're a fearful parent, you'll put fear in your kids and you'll waste their life unless they get the victory. 
So we have to beat this thing. So let me give you some proven, we know they're proven because it's the Bible, proven ways to obtain peace. Proverbs chapter three, verse one, my son, forget not my law, but let your heart keep my commandments, law commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. So one of the best ways or the best places to begin obtaining peace is by judging your life and making sure you're keeping all the commandments God is requiring of you. Now we say God's requiring of you because sometimes we're more mature than others. And when you're more mature, God expects more. When you're less mature, God expects less. But if yet say you're shacking up with someone, you know better than that. God is not going to allow you to have any peace when you're shacking up, fornicating, or touching somebody you have no marriage covenant with. That might be a good source of peace suck. So go keep that commandment. Watch peace return to you. Or maybe you're embezzling money. Or maybe you're watching horror films. The commandments of God won't allow you to sin willfully, openly, or regularly at all. If we'll go back and do the word of God, we can say, you know what? I got confidence. I do all the commandments. I know there's always going to be another commandment you don't know about that as you read your Bible, God calls us to come on and it brightens in your eyes and you say, oh, I've been doing that. I need to stop that. Or I've never done that. I should start that. Now you're responsible. Up until that point, you're not. But you and I would do well to go review everything in our life. Is everything in my life in line with the word of God? Because if it is, the promise from Proverbs chapter three is keeping the commandments of God gives me length of days. So I totally reject that redneck religious concept. Well, you just never know how much time you got. Well, you know when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Well, you know, the Lord just took them home. Well, what book are you reading? You're watching way too much. Uh, what's that old hillbilly show on CBS? Hee-haw. You got hee-haw theology. Shut your mouth. You sound like a banjo preaching. <laughs> no, if you, if you want to do it, I did it sometime 20 something years ago for a friend of mine. They were talking about that kind of stupidity. It was in Knoxville. So I know it just, it isn't just upper Cumberland. They don't have like the corner market on it, though. They have a lion's share of it. They were talking about something stupid. Well, you know, it was their time to go. I said, well, Proverbs says probably 15 or 20 times you can add length to your life. They said, really? I said, yeah. So stayed up that night, went through all of Proverbs. I think I found like 25 times where Proverbs says you can add to your life. If you can add to your life, then you can have a longer life. But it also tells you you can shorten your life. And it's totally your choice. So doing the word gives length of days and long life. How come them to die early? They didn't keep the commandments. Is God's word true? Why them to die early? I don't know. What commandments were they breaking in private? Well, they were just a child. They were under mom and dad's authority. I don't want to meddle into judging that, but God's word is true. And I'm going to side with word over you. And that always offends people, but I do want to stick with the scripture. We have a promise in verse 1 and verse 2. If I do the law, keep the commandments length of days, long life, and peace. The worst thing would be to live a long time and be miserable, begging for death. But this says long life and peace. When you have peace, you want to keep on living. When your life's miserable, you just say, just kill me. 
kill me. There was a funny TV show years ago. They say it was kind of like a sketch thing. They said, uh, after the segment, we're going to interview a man that's been hiccuping for 45 years. And they cut to him, kill me, kill me, kill me. <laughs> Figure if you've been hiccuping for 45 years, you probably are miserable. You just want to die. And you hear that with people who are in so much chronic pain. They just want to die. They beg for suicide because they hurt so bad. Don't judge those people. You've never hurt like that. I had a ministry friend. She was having such bad bone pain. She said, I looked at buying one of those marijuana licenses so I could smoke dope and get the pain out of my body. I said, I won't even judge you. She said, don't. It hurts so bad, I almost wanted to die. She ended up having to have a major joint replaced. I was looking at another verse. How about chapter 3, verse 15? Actually, verse 13. Happy is the man that finds wisdom. So our first point was keep the word. Second point, wisdom. My son, uh, excuse me, verse 13, happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. Why? What's this deal with wisdom and understanding? Well, you drop down to verse 17. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. So the ways of wisdom, wisdom is always personified as a woman and understanding. The way of wisdom is pleasantness and peace. The ways of wisdom are pleasantness and peace. So this is another way we can begin to find peace. If we lack perpetual peace in our life, we have violated wisdom somewhere. You know, I like the expression, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Everyone, because I'm a chaplain now, I like to watch police videos on YouTube. And usually I just, it makes me sweat because these are cops and I love our cops. They're not our cops, but I know people like this. So I was watching a police video yesterday and the, the video said, why you don't run from the police? And the, the trooper was so merciful. I mean, I would have tased the guy till my battery went dead. This guy was drunk and belligerent. He wouldn't, he's, the cop said, I don't want to arrest you. I just want to detain you. I need to search you. And the guy was just belligerent. He eventually got in his car and sped off down the embankment to get away from the cop. At the bottom, he was a little drunk. At the bottom of the embankment, it dropped eight feet. So he crashed his car. Now, this was like a long video, and I think, just tase the guy and then cuff him. He's resisted detainment. I don't even know the laws, but tase him. Just make him dance or seize up. <laughs> and, but he was belligerent, crashes the car, jumps out of the car. Now he's at a, whole hot, a highway, runs across the highway like Frogger. First car misses him. Second car creams him. And they're showing the body cam footage and they blur the whole thing out, but you can see the man is just spaghetti. And they said, you never hear the, or see the cops go render aid because there's nothing to render aid to. But you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. If you lack peace, one of the things you need to evaluate is, where am I violating wisdom? Wisdom produces pleasantness. Wisdom produces perpetual peace. You can tell you're walking in wisdom when you have peace. And you can tell you're about to take a step out of wisdom when you begin to feel that peace bubble begin to shimmy and shake and you realize something's not right here. This is, I don't need to be doing this. But I like this. Happy is the man that finds wisdom. Happy is the man that gets understanding. And then it has a lot of things it does for you. But verse 17, her ways are ways of pleasantness. Actually, look at verse 16. Length of days. So here's another verse that talks about how to live longer. Wisdom will help you live longer. 
You know, you don't go jumping, uh, bungee jumping off a 100-foot bridge with 150 foot of bungee. That's not wisdom. That's not length of days. That's length of rope. <laughs> that's shortness of days. All her paths are peace. And I like that verse a lot. So wisdom, we would say, equals peace. How about Proverbs chapter 12? Let's jump over here. And then I'm going to look at, um, we may go to Job. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. So the contrast here are those that imagine evil. You know, when you're always imagining evil and setting your mind on evil things, you're not going to have peace. You're going to have deception. There was a really popular book a few years ago called The Shack. We taught you not to read it. A lot of you guys didn't, but a lot of Christians did. You didn't even have to try to look for a modern allegory. You know, the, the book was marketed to the church. They made a movie about it with some Hollywood celebrities. It was written by some guy, I think, out of the Pacific Northwest. And he wanted to write a modern allegory about God. So I don't know why he made God the Father an obese black woman. He made Jesus, I think, a carpenter. And then he made the Holy Spirit an androgynous man. That seems blasphemous, especially when you think about the famous saying out of the 60s philosophical Marxist movement that came out of the hippies. It says, I have met God and she is black. So the fact that this preacher out of the Northwest renders God the father in this book as an obese black woman kind of plays right into that secular Marxist vein. Anyway, I didn't have to read that to know I didn't need to read it. The whole premise was that a father lost his daughter to a rape and murder. So that's the whole premise of the book. Why would you read that? Why would you want to expose your mind to that when it violates Philippians chapter 4? Why, why did a, a book, a Christian book, that violates the principle of Philippians chapter 4, whatsoever things are lovely, pure, just, pure, uh, of good report, think on these and the God of peace shall be with you. Why would a book that violates New Testament doctrine be a Christian bestseller? Except that Christians are stupid. Right, so... This verse says, you know, you think on evil, uh, you have deception in your heart. I wouldn't want to read that book because I wouldn't want to put my place in my mind in the same frame of mind as a daddy who just lost his little girl to rape and murder. I can't go there. I make a fist without even thinking about it. My heart starts moving quickly and adrenaline starts surging and I'm looking for something to kill. But somebody made themselves very rich off of a stupid book like that. Anyway, but to the counselors of peace... Joy. That comes back to with joy, we draw waters out of the will of salvation. Peace and joy go hand in hand. And when you're a counselor of peace and you're always looking to make peace, you're always looking to give peace, you're always looking for peace, it's going to produce joy all around you. Peace and joy go hand in hand. You see joyful people, they've got peace at home. When you have one, you have the other. You can't fake either for too long. It will eventually wear you down. So I like that verse. Because it tells us that peace is a promoter of joy. Now, let's look at Job 5. Job 5 tells us another way. I'm going to read this out of King James because I think it reads the best. And then we'll have one last verse. And then it's already 8 o'clock. That went by quick. Job 5, verse 17. Happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Now, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 
all the way down to 24 tells us the fruit of God's correction. Verse 17, happy is the man whom God corrects. Verse 24, thou shalt know that thy tabernacle shall be in peace. When you and I let God correct us, it will bring peace to our tabernacle. Now, the modern translations will say, you'll come to your tent, you'll find it safe and secure, and nothing's been stolen. Yes, that is shalom. The word is shalom. Shalom means total wholeness, protection, defense, but we'll apply it as just having peace at home. When you allow God to correct you, one of the things his correction is going to bring is peace. The whole reason we're teaching this series is a corrective series so we can have peace. When you and I despise the correctings of the Lord, we despise the correcting of a sermon, we despise the corrections of leadership, we're not going to have peace. Corrections come to maintain peace. Now, uh, granted, <clears throat> there might be a belligerent boss who's just ruthless and rude and can't be pleased. That aside, almost every correction in your life is designed to bring peace. Even a personal trainer say, don't do it that way. You'll hurt yourself. He corrects you to keep peace in your body. Your investor, your stockbroker says, don't invest there, invest here. We want you to have financial peace. The teacher says, that's not how you do it. You do it this way. You'll get the problem wrong if you do it that way. I want you to have classroom peace, report card peace. Almost every source of correction in our life is designed to bring peace. That's why we ought to love correction. Can you see why the idiot who says, who are you to tell me what to do? They advertise, I don't want peace. I'm, a, I'm addicted to agitation. I'm addicted to strife. I'm addicted to anger. When you love peace, just somebody correct me. I was caving Friday, and I'm no novice at vertical work. Uh, I spent a lot of time the last two or three years doing a lot of vertical caving, bolting routes, and on rope a lot. And It wasn't uncommon on a, a Friday to spend, to do 800 feet of rope work, up and down ropes, vertical work. But I'm caving with nine other guys, and five of them, their job is to repair windmills. Not Dutch windmills with wooden shoes making tulips. We're talking the 500-foot ones. So they go up the center shaft. They walk out on the tower, and they spend eight to ten hours hanging in a harness repairing the 50-foot blades from their lightning strikes. These guys are like the foremost rope technicians in the world. They live by double rope technique. Caving, we do single rope technique, but they live on double rope technique. So I'm caving with these guys, which is a real honor because these guys are hardcore and serious. And, they, then, and then half of those guys that do this windmill repair, they are also canyoneers, so they're from Arizona. So they're really good at canyoneering, which is you start it high and you start dropping, repelling all the way down. So we're about to drop this 200-foot dome and uh, I'm using a piece of equipment I hadn't used in five years, and I'm a little nervous about it. And this guy, who's probably 20 years younger than me, starts correcting me. I don't care a bit. I'm leaning over a 250-foot pit, and he's like, you probably want to move your ascender up. You don't want it there. Just put it higher. There you go. He, and he starts getting his hand involved now. Now, mind you, when he has to get his hand involved, he's like a foot from 210 feet. He's tied off, but he's correcting me, and I don't really care because the end result is shalom. <laughs> my, my lower parts were not so shalom. I was like nervous. I might have wet myself a little bit because it's been a long time since I used this one descending equipment. But to do 210 feet, you can't use what I'm used to using. You have to use this other thing. And I was a little rusty on it. And I'm like, hey, I may have just peed myself a little bit, just to be honest. 
My stomach is in knots. So if you want to reach over there and put your hand on all my equipment, I don't really care. I got nothing to prove here. I just want to go home at the end of the day. Why have pride when you can have humility and peace? So I like this. You shall know that your tabernacle shall have peace and thou shalt visit thy habitation and thou shalt not err. Modern translation say you'll go to your house, find nothing missing. Uh, letting God correct you, make sure nothing gets taken from your life. Amen. Allowing correction, make sure nothing gets taken from your life. Now, last verse. Go to, let's find uh, another verse in Psalm. Psalm 119, 165. Final verse for tonight. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law. This kind of brings us full circle in tonight's scriptures. First verse was, if you love the word of God, length of days, long life, and peace, but you got to love the word of God and keep the commandments. Here it says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them, nothing shall cause them to stumble, trip up. Loving God's word, which means you're going to do it, will keep you in perfect peace. You can't live a life violating God's word and expect peace. You can't violate your car's warranty, your car's um, technical stats, its frame of, of, of work operation, and expect there to be peace. You have to operate your vehicles, operate your bodies within its constraints. If you go beyond those constraints, it will only last so long and things will fall apart. You and I are not designed to operate outside God's law. One of the built-in safety measures is the second you start to stay there too long, you start losing peace. And it's to help the moron, that's us, go, well, let's go back in here. Your car can only operate so hot, and then it starts to overheat, and it shuts down to tell you, don't do that. It gets too cold, it slows down, it says, don't do that. Peace is the rumble strips of our life, or the lack of it. So the second you start to lose peace, you've got to go back to where you last had it. And you've got to be smart enough to know, you know, when I get around Elijah, I lose peace. Let me get away from him and see if it comes back. Oh, it comes back. That's coincidence. Let me get around Elijah again. Uh, no, every time I get around him, I don't have no peace. That can't be it. Hey, people are this dumb. I've been this dumb. You keep getting around the same situation thinking it can't be that. It has to be something else. No, peace doesn't lie. The Holy Ghost doesn't lie. He is the spirit of peace. You've got to be able to figure out what is the peace suck Amen. and get away from it, build, bury it under concrete, move away from it, quit it, fire it, burn it, trash it. I don't know. Cut it off. Peace is such a valuable, necessary commodity in these last days. If we don't have it, we're going to make all sorts of weird decisions desperate for it and really hurt our lives even more. There's an old rap song I used to listen to. Actually, when I backslid, I didn't backslide. I was about to make a really, really, really dumb decision in college. But the, the verse, the chorus, actually the Holy Spirit used this chorus. Uh, I think it was Dynamic Twins was the rap group. The, but the chorus was, before I, before I go forward, I've got to get back to that place where I first saw your face. And I was miserable, and that song kept playing over and over in my soul. And I realized that I was moving forward into a place that was not the will of God. 
And if before I move forward, I had better get back to where I had the peace of God, which meant scrapping some relationships and getting rid of some stuff. And if you'll obey God in that, you'll find peace again. And you realize there ain't nothing worth out there sacrificing peace for. No friendship, no job, no purchase, no house, no vacation, no girlfriend, no boyfriend. Your covenant is with your God, then your spouse, then your dependent children. If they're not your God, your spouse, or your dependent children, you have no obligation to them. None. So don't let them talk you into hell on earth. I love my mom and dad. I don't have a commitment to them. If they backslide, I'm not taking care of them. I'll honor them from my prayer chair. I'm thankful that they don't sin and I can fellowship with them and my kids can be around them. But that's the closest other people in my life. If they ever sin against God, I wouldn't have a problem cutting them off. As much as they've done for me, I would honor them for what they've done. But that doesn't mean I can be around them, much less expose my kids to them. No, no. I have a commitment to my children. I have an obligation. I don't have an obligation to my parents, regardless of what my Southern tradition tells me. Now, thankfully, again, my mom and dad, they love God. They, they're faithful to their church, and we're blessed. Not everybody's blessed like that. So figure out where your lack of peace is and fix it. His life is so much better when you can go home in peace, go to bed in peace, wake up in peace, raise children in peace. Did you know that when you raise children in peace, they grow straight? They don't grow not straight. Raise them in peace. Amen.